So one of the great things about being part of, of a large church is that we have so many children and people have lots of babies. And it's a really wonderful thing. And we're so grateful to God for all of these new lives. And we never take them for granted. And it's great to have the family here. And Eva was just saying how much she's been blessed just being here. And it's just wonderful that we can share uh, with people's families and celebrate as well. But when we think about this idea of bringing up our children to know God's love, it's always about a process, isn't it? It's a way of life that we're including them into. It's not just about adding on a bit of Bible reading or prayer once a day or at certain times in the day. It's a continual process of including God in our lives so that their understanding of God is built into the relationship that they have with us and the relationship that we have with God. So one of our most important tasks as parents is to help them to understand who they are, to be comfortable with who they are, and to be proud of that. But we also want to help them to aspire to be something greater. I wanted to own a sweet shop when I was a little girl (laughs) because I thought that that would make for my ultimate happiness. To most of us who have children, our children are perfect, aren't they? (laughs) I I taught at a school and every parents' day, the headmistress would give a speech to the parents about how wonderful their children were. And then she would joke that if they were slightly unsure about it, they should go in and look at them when they're asleep. It's true, isn't it? If you go into your children's bedroom and stand and thank God for them when they're asleep, you get an overwhelming sense of how perfect they are, lying there and demanding nothing from you, (laughs) just content and peaceful. I brought up four children, and I love every single one of them as much now that they're adults as I did when they were children. It's not so easy to show it when they're adults. They're not always there in front of you. But the love is still there. Um, But one of the things that made me the happiest as a mother was when my children were little and they did this. (laughs) Daddy's going to make him laugh now. Ready? It was the giggling. I don't think my children ever sprayed a dog. They may have done. But it was the giggling. They did lots of giggling. And that naive, innocent laughter of a baby says that all is well, doesn't it? Um, Not only are they okay, but they're deliriously happy. And as good parents, that's what we want for our children. But we also know that being deliriously happy isn't the only important thing for them. It's not the only indicator of how they are. We want them to be happy, but we also want them to grow into mature and independent and loving and kind and successful, loved by others, and big long list of all the things we want them to grow into. And the point is that their needs are complex. As people made in the image of God, they have emotional needs and spiritual needs, physical needs, social needs, and intellectual needs. And all of these need to be met as they're growing up. 
So when they're looking like this, we need to think about whether they're hungry or lonely (laughs) or bored or insecure and just need a cuddle or have a dirty nappy or something else. And that's just that poor dad, Luke. (laughs) Then we need to go through the same process for baby Joel. And if we get it right, we can all breathe a sigh of relief and their happiness will radiate with ours. (laughs) Sometimes it may have been very simple and sometimes very complicated. I vividly remember a weekend where one of our children was sick and we all assumed it was a stomach bug. We tried everything um, to make them happy, to make them better, but they just got weaker and weaker. And we ended up in hospital having to have her having to have uh, an operation for a strangulated hernia uh, where her gut had become blocked um, and it needed to be removed. So that wasn't a happy time. But for all the things that our children went through, I know that the most important thing was that we did our best and were there for them. We're certainly not perfect parents, but we do have a perfect Heavenly Father who works with us and helps us all the time. But we want to assure our children that they are perfect and that we love them completely just as they are. And at the same time, we want them to aspire to be all that they can be. So we teach them new things and we offer them new experiences according to where they are in their development. And we try and encourage them to do new things and we want to build into them the desire to be all that they can be. We don't want them to just want to own a sweet shop. (laughs) In order for them to grow up healthily, they constantly need to know who they are and to know who they want to become and to know how they're going to get there. So with these thoughts in mind, I'd like us to consider some wisdom from two sources today. One is the book of Hebrews and another a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I would like us to answer these questions not just for our children or for someone else, but for ourselves. Who are you? Who do you want to become? And how are you going to get there? How are you going to become that person? And then I want to take it one further because we're thinking about our Heavenly Father being our perfect parent and wanting to develop develop us in the best possible way. And I want us to think about how does God see me? How does God see us? Who does God want me to become? And how am I going to get there? So first of all, we'll look at the book of Hebrews. The context of the book in the New Testament is that it's a letter being written to one of the churches that were being persecuted for their faith. The writer is trying to encourage the Christians not to give up in their resolve to live by all the teachings of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he uses really deep pictorial language from the Old Testament to explain to them why they should do this. His main focus is to explain how and why Jesus saves them and gives them that eternal hope that starts on this earth now and finishes in the life to come. And he says this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. 
During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Don't worry about that last bit. (laughs) It's an interesting perspective on Jesus' trials and sufferings, isn't it? That he actually learned obedience through them. How could someone who is so perfect have to be made perfect? Surely the Bible is contradicting itself here. Um, Well, The reason it says that is because the idea of perfection in the Greek is from the word teleos, and it doesn't have the same meaning as the English word perfection, but that's how it's been translated. Um, The English word has a sense of there being a blemish or um, or there being no blemish and no weakness, Um, but that's not the sense of the word teleos. It was more about something being completed or brought to maturity. So in this passage, it talks about the fact that Jesus' whole life and ministry, as well as his death, prepared him or even qualified him to become our eternal high priest. The calling of God called him forward and the grace of God sustained him. Jesus could have failed if he relied on his own strength as a human being, but because he cried out to God and trusted him through whatever he faced, he achieved his calling. So today we don't use high priest language because it's quite religious, um, but some denominations do use priest language. And we kind of know that a priest is someone who helps someone else to connect with God. And the high priest in the Old Testament was someone who would pray for all of God's people and offer sacrifices every day for their sins on a daily basis. Um, And then there would be an annual um, celebration of atonement where they um, offered special sacrifices, and it was a, a specific annual festival that happened every year. But the important thing about a high priest was firstly that he was human, and therefore he understood and empathized with the people that he represented, And the second thing was that he um, understood how holy God is. And he was able to represent the holiness of God to the people. The reason that the passage talks about a priest called Melchizedek is because in the Old Testament, the priest called Melchizedek was the only high priest mentioned before the law came along and Moses. And he went all the way back to Abraham. And so, as such, he was, wasn't just a priest for a particular people group. He was a universal high priest. So he was the high priest for everyone in the world. And that's why he was a type of Christ in the Old Testament, because Jesus um, is the high priest for everyone and not just a specific people group. So even Jesus, although he was perfect... And God said to him at his baptism, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, He was called called into his true ministry, his true purpose, who he was really supposed to be when he grew up. 
And this became clearer and clearer to him throughout his ministry. What's this got to say to us, though? Jesus was God's son, so of course that was the case for him. Yes, it was, but that wasn't the only point that the book of Hebrews is trying to make. It's telling us that it was true for Jesus, but it's also true for us. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer says in chapter 2, verse 10, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So the point is that, yes, the same Christ who existed before the world began, one with the Father and the Spirit, helped to create the universe and everything in it, chose to enter into that creation as part of it. He became human. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit hatched a plan to bring everything and everyone back to themselves. And the only way to do it was for God's Son to become human and risk everything in order to bring everything else back to God. So Jesus becomes the pioneer of our salvation. He becomes the forerunner, the one who goes before all of us. And he's raised from death and goes to sit at God's right hand to pray for us and to wait for us while we work out the individual missions and the grand mission that God has for all of us to extend his kingdom here on earth. Let's look at Hebrews again. Chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. (laughs) He understands how you're feeling. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So just in the same way that bringing up a child is all about having a relationship with them, dealing with everything they have to go through day by day, night by night, So our development as Christians is about living day by day, taking everything that happens to God to his actual throne and expecting and knowing that Jesus is there and here with us. Jesus is for us, understanding what we're going through and in some way helping us to get through it. So the calling of God is not just for Jesus. The calling of God calls us forward And the grace of God will sustain us. We don't want to rely on our own strength, but with him, through whatever we face, we can achieve our calling. Sometimes it's hard to believe this, isn't it? The people that the letter to the Hebrews was writing to were facing violent persecution. And we have other challenges here in our postmodern time and place. Sometimes it's just that our baby's crying. (laughs) And it's sometimes easy for us to feel like giving up. There are so many different ideas screaming at us. Which one should we listen to? And these are very real trials that we have to face. 
Um, And sometimes these trials that we face lead us to feel the same way that those people felt that the letter of Hebrews was being written to. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here we have uh, these people are being told off, they're being told to grow up. Um, They're being told that they're like adults asking for baby milk instead of adults being fed So they've given up pressing forward in their faith. Um, This is a problem that is being addressed in this letter to them. And one of the things that they've done is they've stopped trusting God in all the difficult circumstances that they're going through. The gospel has kind of stopped making sense to them because it's just too confusing. Life is just too confusing. And they have gone lethargic and maybe depressed, and this has taken a hold of them. And reading this passage in Hebrews, it reminded me of a quote from a book that I've been reading, which is about how we need to be emotionally healthy in order to be spiritually healthy. Someone said to the guy who was writing the book, I've been a Christian for 22 years, but instead of feeling like a 22-year-old Christian, I feel as if I've been a one-year-old Christian 22 times. (laughs) Peter Scazzaro, um, the person who wrote the book, has a ministry looking at what he calls emotionally healthy spirituality. And he writes from a painful testimony of having a successful ministry in a large church for a number of years. But he came to a point where he realized that everything on the surface looked great, but there was a whole lot happening underneath the surface that wasn't. He uses the analogy of an iceberg to show that what we see of something is not the whole story. And that it's just as important that what we can see, what we can't see is healthy as the thing that we can see. It's important that the whole thing is healthy. And um, Peter realized that by not paying attention to his own and other people's emotional health, he'd become very cut off in his relationships and he was unable to meet the emotional needs of his children and family. And he also found that he wasn't having his emotional needs met either. He says this in his book, The degree to which we are willing to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface of our lives is the degree to which we will experience freedom in him. The kind of thing he means here um, are the kind of things that Steve was talking about last week when he was encouraging us to slay the giants in our lives that are holding us back. Um, So, you know, we may need to revisit some things in our past and ensure that we've faced the way that that those things are affecting us now. You know, have things happened to us that we just need to think about and pray through um, the implications of what of the people they've made us today. 
And there are people who can pray with us for that. You may also need to address deep hurts like anger or grief or pain and allow yourselves time and opportunity to heal rather than just leaving those things to not really address them and and leaving them under the carpet. We may need to be reconciled to people that have been struggling, that we've been struggling with, um, or it may be that we can't be reconciled to people who've hurt us, but we need help um, to be able to let go of the hurts and the pain that they've caused us. And we may find that because of the way we've been treated, for whatever reason, we have certain behaviours like putting ourselves down or self-harming or not caring about our own needs. Today, we might just want to come to God for the first time and say, I want to be part of what you're doing here on earth. I want to be a follower of Jesus and know his friendship and power in my life. But wherever we're at, God looks at each one of us and he says, you're perfect. Because he understands what you've been through and he understands the challenges that you've had to face He understands that there are people that don't understand you and he understands that sometimes you feel alone and you're not sure what to do or where to go. Son though he was, it says about Jesus, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And that seems really harsh that Jesus had to suffer in order to to fulfill his calling. And if it was true for Jesus, who's the forerunner and the pioneer of our faith, It's got to be true for us as well. So we've seen the idea of perfect and Jesus becoming perfect as a process. Even although Jesus didn't sin, it doesn't mean that he couldn't have sinned. And Jesus went through everything that he went through, continually choosing to please his father until finally, even as he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, If possible, please don't let this have to happen to me. But if it's your will, it's what I want too. And God didn't stop Jesus dying, but he raised him from the dead. So death was defeated. And now death has lost its sting forever over us because of Jesus. The power of the life of the kingdom of God breaks into the death of today. And Jesus has become our perfect mediator before God. And he prays for us when we're too tired to pray for ourselves or we don't know what to pray. And he calls us to follow him, to follow him through the trials of life, onwards and upwards to eternal life. To be with him when there's a new heaven and a new earth. But he also calls us to follow him on a journey of becoming perfected in our faith perfected in our trust in God, no matter what happens to us in this life. Let's go back to those questions. Who am I? How does God see me? Although to a certain extent, only you and perhaps those closest to you know what you're like below the surface as well as above the surface. And the way that you were brought up is integral to who you are now. Even although you may have come, become a Christian a long time ago, remember that the word um, perfect means mature. And that's a process, but also you're perfect now. God is with you on this process. You are 
where you need to be because whoever you are and wherever you are, you can come to God just as you are. And God's proud of you, especially if you admit where you are because that's where you can start from. So that's who you are. You are who you are and be proud of it. Who do you want to be and what do you feel God is calling you to? It may be that you feel God is asking something of you which is really difficult and Jesus knows how you feel. Share it with people, share it with friends and people who are on you, with you on this journey and test what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Let people pray with you and pray for you. And how are you going to get there? Maybe you need to address your past in order to take hold of your future. Maybe you see a clear future, but you don't know how you're going to get there. Let's think about those giants maybe that we need to um, address in our lives. But however big they are, remember that uh, King David, he wasn't a king at the time, he was a little shepherd boy. And because he trusted in God's strength, he was able to overcome those giants. And we've looked at how Jesus, even although he struggled and he had to suffer and go through many, many things, um, he, he was made perfect. And that's something that we can be made perfect. Even although we're fine as we are, God wants us to aspire to be who he wants us to be. What's he calling us to? What's he calling you to? Because whatever he's calling you to, he is going to enable you to get there. And just finally, um, before we have some ministry time and have some worship, um, during which you're very free, uh, welcome to come and get some prayer or to have prayer with the person next to you or just to enjoy um, sitting in his presence or, or finishing the meeting, um, we just, just encourage you to um, go forward in your, work, in your walk with God from wherever you are. If it's first time saying to God, I want to follow Jesus, then do that today and come forward. Um, but remember that the mess from the message last week as well, um, we're chosen, anointed and empowered. And Jesus was chosen, anointed and empowered. And we see that journey that he went on um, and he wants the same for us.